I remember still vividly when I was a young Christian in my teenage years, I had come to realize that Christ, in fact, was the Son of God, that he loved me, even though he knew me better than anyone else. And he loved me, that he died for me, and he rose from the dead, just like Paul proclaimed in our Corinthians passage. And I gave my life to Christ. And I remember being a young Christian, really enthusiastic about being a Christian. And then I ran into the buzzsaw that is the Sermon on the Mount. Perhaps you've run into the same buzzsaw. I have a couple of uncles no longer living uh, who worked in a sawmill. And uh, needless to say, they were missing a few fingers on each hand. It's just the result of working in a sawmill in the 40s and 50s and 60s. You were going to lose some appendages. And I would contend to you that we do not encounter the Sermon on the Mount, or as we have it here, the Sermon on the Plain that Jesus is giving, and not lose some things. We do not come out unscathed when we encounter these words. They are hard to hear. They are challenging to each of us. Well, what is Jesus talking about? Is he, is he suggesting that, because just to remind you of them, that, that, is he saying that, that you're only blessed if you're poor, that you're only blessed if you're weeping, that you're only blessed if you're hungry, and you're only blessed if you're being persecuted, and that you're woefully to be, uh, to be worried and concerned if you are wealthy and if you're well-fed and if you're laughing and if people all people think highly of you. Well, is that the, the literal sense of what Jesus means? Well, first of all, uh, you know, I will point out that, that Jesus didn't hate rich people. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, as, as Dr., uh, not Dr. Mothrow, I was thinking of Dr. Mothrow, but it was actually Walter Crosby said at the 8 o'clock service, after all, Joseph of Arimathea, a wealthy man, is who provided the tomb for our Lord to be buried in. I said, good point, Walter also remember that it was wealthy women who were with Jesus who met the needs that he had as he traveled about doing his itinerant ministry. Jesus himself was clearly identifying with the poor. He was clearly in in touch with them. He said, the fox has its hole, the bird has its nest, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus denies food when Satan comes to him in the desert, tempting him. It says, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the Father. He, he refuses food. He, he knows that there's a, a substance that comes beyond just earthly food. We know as Christians, and we, as we move towards Lent, we know that there are times where it's good to withhold from things, to fast from things, to, to take moments or days where we prepare our hearts, and we really truly try to live into that reality. What is Jesus getting at here? Is he, is he suggesting that, that it's, it's only through these things that, that the world despises that we are blessed, and if we go the way of the world, we're to be woefully concerned? Well, I want to point out, beginning how this passage starts, Jesus comes to the crowds. Remember I talked last week about this, this constant um, two two audiences that Jesus has, the crowd and the disciples. It's always important to remember as a church that we're always wanting to be welcoming to the crowd. There are those who come seeking a word from the Lord that we talked about last week, and there are those who are desperate to know whether or not you truly speak God's word. And so people come, and Jesus comes, and he heals them. He doesn't say, blessed are you who are sick. Notice that? There are those who are filled with, uh, with unclean spirits or they're being, as the scripture says, being tormented by unclean spirits. 
Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you if you're troubled by unclean spirits. He drives the spirits out. He brings healing. We're told that literally as he walked by, people would touch him and power would go out of him to bring healing. Jesus is, is not proclaiming misery in this life. You know, that was Karl Marx's big knock on the church. He said, you know, it's opium for the masses. You, you want people to be content with their miserable lives now for a hope of a distant heavenly future. And it's a, it's a means for the powerful to use to oppress the masses. And that's not what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus is not calling us simply to, to bathe. As a matter of fact, we know people who are poor who are miserable, who are not happy, who are not blessed. We know people who are hungry. Uh, one of the actors, that, the actor, I can't think of his name, but he played in the movie A Beautiful Life about the prison camp. And he said that he, in order to prepare for the part, he, he took basically a starvation diet and he became very emaciated and very hungry. And he said, you would not believe what extreme hunger does to the human psyche. He said, I couldn't believe how affected I was, how it changed the way I thought, and how hard it was to think about anything else except food. To mourn? Is that, do we, are we to live miserable lives? I think some Christians do think that. I've known some pretty miserable Christians, you know? It's like they, they're, they're sucking on lemons before they walk out of the house in the morning, and uh, it's not very attractive. Are we, are we to seek out persecution? Heard once of a, of, a, of a Christian community within a small town that rented a blimp, and they would, they would fly over the city with words of Scripture, trying to bring people to faith in Christ. And then when that didn't work, they got a megaphone, and they began to broadcast the Word of God down on the people, and it did not work. The city hated them for their action. Were they being persecuted? Were they in that blessed space? No, of course not. That's not what Jesus is getting at here. What is he talking about? Well, Jesus is, notice that Jesus is lifting up and he's saying that there is a, a, a prizedness, there is a, a dignity and a goodness in things that the world absolutely despises. We expect to read, woe if you are poor, woe if you are hungry. Woe if you are weeping. Woe if you are being persecuted. Because that's the things, that's the way the, the, the culture teaches us to think. We, we pursue those things. We, we desperately don't want to be hungry. We desperately don't want to be poor. The poor don't want to be poor. The, the, we, we don't want to be weeping. Jody and I spent time this week with a, a friend who is mourning the loss of her father and we were, we were weeping and crying with her, and, and she was saying, you know, to her own uh, just panic, and not panic, but just angst that, that even some of her own siblings were not willing to enter into the pain of their parents' death. They couldn't even go in and be with their mom as she died. Hard it is. The world hates to be mourning. We want to focus on happy things and good thoughts puppies and bunnies and soft pillows and good stuff. Don't, don't depress me with the hard things. That's why we isolate oftentimes the elderly in our 
in our lives and where our children grow up not understanding death because they've been so isolated from it. We, we run away from things that, that are weird. And we desperately want to be popular. We love popular music. We love pop culture because it's popular because it's what most of the people like. Forget you, you know, people who have eccentric taste and understand all the nuances. We like the simple, popular thing because it's catchy and we can remember it and everybody's singing it. But Jesus elevates a different set of values, doesn't he? He says there's a blessedness in being poor. There's a blessedness in being hungry. There's a blessedness in weeping. And there's a blessedness even and being persecuted. Well, how can someone see this? How is it that Christians can, can live into this, this as, as Tim Keller says, this upside-down kingdom with reversed values? Well, it can only be if our perspective has been changed. Why is it a Christian can enter into weeping and mourning with someone who's crying and weeping? Because we don't weep with those who have no hope. We, we weep, we mourn, but those who, as Paul says, hope in the resurrection because Christ has been raised from the dead. That's not just a future hope, but it's a present hope. Because if Christ has been raised from the dead, which he has, and I am in relationship with Christ, then that resurrection life has come into me and it changes me and it gives me hope and it's, in, it's working in me a difference to put all things in perspective. You see, a, in Jesus is saying in, in the life within him, in the life within his kingdom, it is possible to be poor and yet to be blessed. It's, poverty is about weakness. It's about a lack of power. To be wealthy is to be powerful. To be poor is to be powerless, is to be weak. And yet Jesus says, there is a blessedness, there's a way in me to be blessed, even though you're poor. Which is why St. Francis can give all of his possessions away and live this life of destitution and yet be raised up as an incredible example of, of saintliness in our world. Because there's a blessedness in being impoverished. Because it leads to a complete and total trust in the Lord. There's a goodness, a blessedness, and hungering, and not having all the things we desire in this life satisfied. There's a blessedness in entering into the weeping and mourning with people and not simply just being over, uh, overcome and, and, and concerned and preoccupied with la- trying to be a laughter. And by the way, this word in the Greek, laughter, doesn't simply mean to laugh like, you know, your golf buddy tells a great joke or you watch a com- funny comedian on TV, but it's to gloat. It's to gloat. <laughs> you know, suckers. I win, you know? It's that kind of a mourn. Woe are you who are, who are self-satisfied. Mourn, you 
who don't know what it means to be weak. Mourn you who are, you're preoccupied with, with, with how well you're doing and how isolated. Isn't it, isn't it true? We aren't, don't we, we, in a sense, we don't want to know about the needs around us. We want to just sort of, uh, you know, can't hear that, you know. What do you say with the kids? I can't hear the whiny voice, you know. Uh, I can't hear the, about poverty and hunger, and I can't hear about, you know, people that are weeping and mourning and in and, and, and incredible pain, and I definitely don't want to know about people that are being persecuted. You know, I, I love that our liturgy includes we pray for those who are persecuted. I mean, imagine if you were facing possible death or torture this morning somewhere in the world. And by the way, there are Christians who are facing those things. And then imagine if somebody had told you the very verses that we just read. What hope would that bring to your life? Blessed are you who are persecuted. Rejoice in that day, for great is your hope in heaven. You see, I don't think that the heavenly hope is simply just, just in the future. I, I believe what, what Tim Keller says that, that is if, but because of like passages like Ephesians 1 that says that in Christ we have been placed in the heavenlies, or Colossians 3, which says basically the same idea, that in the spiritual realm we are already with Christ in eternity, and that we're living now an extension of that eternity in this life with upside-down values and a completely reoriented. I think you can be full and you can be wealthy and you can be laughing and not being persecuted and still be in good standing with the Lord. But here, I believe, is what Jesus is drawing us to. To live with those things so loosely that they don't truly matter. Jesus is getting at the world system of values which says desperately seek riches, desperately seek satisfaction, desperately seek laughter and joy, and desperately seek to be well-liked by all. Jesus says, don't give in to the trap of letting those things control you. Don't sell yourself out to seek those things. If they come to you, fine, but don't run after them because they lead to destruction. They are counter to the kingdom of God. So today, I think the challenge for us is to be like this this plant, this tree that is represented in both the Jeremiah passage that was read, the Old Testament lesson, and the, and the psalm that we sang, because they both talk about this metaphor of a, of a tree that's planted by the water as in contrast to a tree that is planted in the desert. Well, obviously, the one in the desert is greatly affected by its environment. It's going to wither. It's not going to grow. This is the, the unrighteous man, Psalm 1 tells us, but it is the one whose hope is not grounded in the Lord. And yet, the, one, the tree that is planted by the river takes down deep roots, and it's nourished by the Lord, it's sustained. Jesus is, is not saying, get the riches and get the, get the full belly and all these things so that you can, you can be satisfied. No, he's saying, let your trust be in Christ. Don't be controlled by these things. 
but rather understand that through Christ, I can do all things. That's what Paul said. Famously, we remember from Philippians chapter 4, right? You know what he says in the verse right before that? He says, I've learned the secret to be content. I know what it is to be in want, and I know what it is to have plenty. And in all things, I can do all through Christ who strengthens me. It's to hold those things loosely. That's the call of the Christian life. That's this buzzsaw of the Sermon on the Mount that, that we have these beatitudes that, that we have to be willing to face and, and to confront and say, where have I sold out to riches and power? Where have I sold out to being satisfied? Where have I avoided people in situations where I can enter into mourning and weeping with them? Or where have I, where have I stopped weeping for the sin of the world and where have I just occupying myself with things that distract me? And where am I so desperate to be liked by everyone that I avoid speaking truth about God and the gospel? And I thought that was the end of it, but I think it goes deeper. Where is Christ calling me to be weak? to become poor? Where is Christ calling me to not be satisfied, to give something up, to be hungry? Where is Christ calling me to give up the laughter and identify with weeping, mourning? Where is Christ calling me to not be popular and liked by all, but to willing to be persecuted and spoken ill of. Christ is saying there, there is a, a life that I'm calling you to that is counterintuitive. It's an upside-down kingdom, and it is rooted in the resurrection of Christ and that life that he gives that allows us to walk through life content with much or with little, willingness to enter into those things that he might call us to, that the world would say you're completely crazy. And yet, to know Christ is to know joy and peace and blessedness in the midst of those things. Oh, may we not shrink back from the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain, the way we plunge in to know this life that Christ calls us to. Amen? Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, make it so in us, Christ our Lord.